Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. If you can get Genesis chapter number three, we'll start there. And this dispensation of conscience is from the fall of man. To Noah's flood. And during that fall of man to Noah's flood, there was no written word from God during that time. Matter of fact, there was very little. There was hardly any revelation from God at all during that time. We're going to look at three instances where there were. Um, and this is considered this this division or this time of innocence. Genesis chapter 3, we'll start reading at verse 21. Bible says, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. This is this is after the fall. And the Lord God said, behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life to and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Yeah, after the fall, why? Did Adam and Eve sow fig leaves? Because their conscience bear witness to the fact of, wait, there's some humiliation, there's some shame here. And so their conscience convicted them. It's not like they had a command from God, hey, go, go put some clothes on, go sow some fig leaves. No, they did that. Because their conscience was alive, sin had entered, and they knew, okay, this is shameful. How they know it was a shameful? Their conscience. Now, of course, God had to help them out and show them that that wasn't enough. But they put some clothes on. And we also saw in verse number 22, to know good and evil. They got some knowledge, and it was of good and evil. Go over to Romans chapter number one, because this time of conscience that we are looking at from the fall of man to Noah's flood, after the flood happened, God didn't recall the truth that he dispensed. So in Romans chapter number one, we can very simply see verse number 18. The Bible says, Romans chapter one. For the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I remember we were down in Florida and 
we're on the University of Central Florida campus doing some public ministry and um, giving some gospel tracts out. Some folks had some scripture signs. And I'm not sure if I was preaching open air or one of the other brothers were, but um, a crowd got drawn up. Pretty good crowd of college students. So after the preaching was over, they had some questions. And I ended up getting into a side argument, was what it was turning into, with a reprobate, just an unbeliever that was confused about his or her identity. <laughs> and it wasn't going anywhere. So I simply said, can we just turn to Romans chapter 1 and read what the Bible has to say? You know what is right. You know truth. The only difference between me and you is you're holding it in unrighteousness. It's the only difference. There's a knowledge that people have from God. God wrote a work on their heart and people know God revealed truth. God gives light to every man. Man just holds it in unrighteousness. He doesn't want to give God glory. But that's what happened after the fall. The conscience now comes to light. Um, get Ephesians chapter 2, Psalm 58, and stay in Romans. We'll be in Romans 2. We have two truths we're going to look at in, in Ephesians and Psalms. Let's deal with Ephesians first. Look at Ephesians 2, verse number 3. Okay, yeah, that's right. Ephesians 2, verse 3. Among whom also we had our conversation in time past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That whole flesh, lust, desire thing, it's all about us. Why? Because it tells us, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That was us before we got saved. Ephesians 2, verse 3, the end of verse 3. And we're by nature the children of wrath. You go to Psalms 58, I'd like to look at both of these verses together. Psalms 58, look at verse number 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born speaking lies it's very important and we'll get romans 2 it's very important that we rightly divide the word of truth because we have we have two truths that are that go hand in hand ephesians 2 were by nature the children of wrath and psalms 58 we go astray as soon as they be born all of that's that's all true but I want to run that truth in light of the truth that we find in Romans chapter 2. I'd like to read this together. Look at verse number 14. Romans 2, 14. We preached about this a little bit, bit ago, so I'm not to spend too much time. But watch what it says. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law or a law unto themselves. Well, wait a minute. I, saw, I thought I was by nature the child of wrath. Isn't that true? We are. But we also have a, another nature. 
and we see it in verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. God wrote a work in you and I's heart. We have a conscience. Now, our conscience can't save us. Which is what we're going to see in a minute. Nobody listened to Noah. Okay. Cain killed Abel. Cain had a conscience. Our innocence can't save us. Jesus Christ has to the Lord, the Lord has to step in and help us. Their conscience isn't going to be able to help them out. That can't save them. God's got to intervene again. And as we go through all of these dispensations, we're going to see that God is always going to have to intervene. Why? Because none of it can save anybody. The perfect environment can't save you. As much as we want as parents to create a good, healthy, uh, godly, pure environment for our children, it's not like, number one, we can really honestly create that. And number two, if we could, how do you explain what happened to Adam and Eve? It's not like Black Sabbath was playing back then. It's not like Led Zeppelin came on the scene. I mean, they didn't have rock music to, to defile them. That state of innocence, God had to intervene. And it's the same idea with the conscience. We are able to know. That is what happened in Genesis 3. We're able to know right from wrong. Where do we get that? God wrote a work in our hearts. We have a conscience. This is why people, they know there's a God. We'll go back to Genesis 3. Let's look at Genesis 3, verse number 5. Genesis 3, verse number 5. The Bible says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, uh, ladies and gentlemen alike, we need to be careful of what we fixate our eyes on. <laughs> okay. She saw something, got her off track. She took the fruit thereof and did eat. Well, what's the big deal? It's just a piece of fruit. The big deal was that God said, no. That's the big deal is that God said no. And man said, I got a better idea. But God had the better idea and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And here it is again. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. From the presence of the Lord. Why? They knew they'd done wrong. Amongst the trees of the garden. From Genesis 3 to Genesis 8, God wrote a work in man, and that's his conscience. This is that dispensation of conscience. Innocence before the fall, and now we go into conscience. During this time, go over to Genesis 4. There were three occasions where God spoke during this time frame. The first occasion is when God spoke to Cain. 
Look at Genesis chapter number four. Let's read some verses tonight. Let's start at verse three. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thou countenance fallen? Thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. God spoke to Cain. I mean, we've got something here written in words. God spoke to Cain during this time because Cain had one simple command, the same as Adam and Eve had. One simple command, don't eat of this fruit, and they disobeyed. And God said, Cain, here's the sacrifice I want you to bring. And Cain thought, well, what's the big deal? I'll just, and the big deal was that you'll just. And that's the thing with us as sinners. We read something in God's word and we say, well, yeah, well, I'll just. And we shouldn't do that. We should take God's word as it is. He's not trying to trick us. There's a lot of passages that are very clear and very easy in the New Testament that you can just read it. and It's, it's plain as day. But we do what Cain did. We think, well, God will accept this type of worship. God will accept, and he won't. And he won't. And Cain found out that there was one narrow way, and it was very specific, and it was God's way. And young people, pay attention. Your parents are trying to get you on the right path, the narrow way. Because that Broadway leads to destruction. So when they tell you to do something, you can argue with them why. Or you can just say, I don't understand it all. I don't like it. I kind of wish it was different. But okay, I'll sweetly obey. And that's really all God's asking from us. We shouldn't make a habit of arguing with God, especially when it's clear in his word. With a good attitude, it'll be acceptable to God. But God spoke to Cain during that time. And all Cain really had to do is just believe what God said. That's it. Just do what I told you to do. And Cain didn't obey. And Abel paid for it. He died. Mankind fell again. And we have the first murder in the Bible. And as much as I'm for getting rid of all the junk in your life and as much as I'm for staying away from sin and as much as I'm for right living and, and godly living and all of that 
he had it pretty good. Cain and Abel both had it pretty good. They really did. I mean, the further you get down the line of the of the sin curse, the worse we, we get as parents. And that's a pretty good parents, even though they made a mistake, even though they sinned. But they really didn't have it that bad. And what happened? They still sin. They still sin. This is why we need a savior. We cannot save ourselves. Um, look at Genesis chapter five. This is the second time God spoke during this time uh, and get uh, the book of Jude all the way in the back uh, of your of your New Testament. Grab the book of Jude and Genesis chapter number five. Uh, God and Enoch had some communication. Look at Genesis ch uh, five, verse number twenty one. Bible says, and Enoch lived 60 and five years. I don't know if anybody wants to live that long, but Enoch did and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. Oh, here it is. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God. And look at Jude. Look at the book of Jude. And a little bit more here. Watch this. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. That's not too far down the line, is it? <laughs> the seventh from Adam prophesied of these sayings. So God told Enoch, here's what I want you to prophesy. Of these saying, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. A lot of ungodliness God is preaching against. <laughs> and I'm telling you, we should be doing the same thing today. There isn't enough sermons. There's not enough teaching. There's not enough books about the ungodliness that is rampant about this world. It would seem to me, I don't know if it seems to you the same way, it would seem to me that the world is having a more, more of an effect on influencing the so-called church than the church is having an impact on this world. I mean, can I get a witness on that? Can I get it? I mean, is, is, is that what it seems like? No, I don't want to backpedal. I don't want to retreat. But there's a lot of ungodliness. And you know what the ungodly people are going to do to you when you point out that they're a sinner and need a savior? The same thing they did with Enoch and the same thing that we're going to find out they're going to do with Noah, this. <laughs> they're just going to cover their ears. They don't want to hear. Lord helping us, let that, let, let us not let that reality give us a bad attitude toward lost people. We just need to recognize that that is probably going to be the reaction that we're going to get. And now let's show some patience, some long suffering, maybe a little bit of tough love. 
and maybe every now and then an argument will be a little good. I, you know, we we got to be able to balance it out, but not get away from the fact that look, God was patient, and long-suffering with us, and during this time of conscience, He was as well, which is what we'll see. Well, go to Genesis six. Uh, look at verse number five. Genesis six, verse five. What did God see? And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. A couple things to note on this passage. Number one, all this wickedness tells me that evolution isn't true. Because things aren't getting better. People were getting more wicked back then. People were getting more wicked back uh, today. People were getting more ungodly back then. God said it repented me that I ever made you. I'm going to destroy the whole thing. You people are so wicked and ungodly. You imagine your parent coming up to you and saying, your dad saying, it just repents me that I even bore you. Mm-hmm. A mother saying to her child, it repents me that you were. That's hard. God's fed up with their wickedness. But Noah found great. And what did God commission Noah to do? This is the third time during this time frame of conscience. God speaks to Noah. Look at verse number 13. And God said unto Noah. The end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shall thou make in the ark and shall pitch it within and without pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shall make it of. The ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. Now, Noah could have just tuned out right then and said, Lord, why can't I just measure this thing? <laughs> I mean, kind of got my own way of measuring. Noah didn't do that. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He wanted to do it God's way, the Lord's way, and he just got right on board with God. Shouldn't we be ready to do that? Just get on board with God. Build it how he wants you to build. It. Live how he wants you to live. And this is the fact. Okay, so verse 16, a window shalt thou make to the ark, and cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. Lower, second, third story shalt thou make it. Man, there's a lot of preaching in here. We're not going to do it tonight, but there's a lot in here you can really park on. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, to of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee, shall they be male and female. End of the chapter. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. And so he did. You know what God did? He used Noah to prepare a way, to offer a way of escape to the people that he just called were ungodly, were wicked. And it repented them that evil made them. 
because we have a gracious, long-suffering God. And he always prepares a way of escape. But if we don't heed that warning, when we're speaking to a lost person, if they don't heed that warning and they die, they're not going to get the long-suffering of God. They're going to get the floodwaters. They're going to get a flood of judgment. And that's not going to be a good thing. That's why Noah's preaching his guts out outside that ark. That's why we are called. We're not standing outside of an ark, folks, saying a flood's coming. We're going out to the hedges and highways to compel them that the Lord's house may be filled. We have to compel them to think about things that they won't think about. Judgment has come. We want them ultimately to get saved. But God prepares a way. So during this time of conscience, God, there was no written word given, but God spoke uh, to Cain. He spoke to Enoch. He walked with Enoch and he spoke with, uh, he spoke with Noah. And that is really all the communication um, that was given by God. So I want to go back a bit. And say this. Biblically, we can uh, draw a dividing line at Genesis three between Genesis three and four, and then we can draw another dividing line at you know Genesis nine um, between Genesis nine and ten, and we can say, look, this is this time of conscience. God did give man a conscience. That truth was dispensed by God during that time. It came after the dispensation of innocence. Outside of the garden, which they were dispelled from, outside of that garden, that is what was designed to rule them. Their conscience, right from wrong. Their conscience really didn't help them out that much because they still sin. Which brings us to our next point. Our conscience cannot save us. It, it can't even keep us from sinning. But it does produce fear. It does produce some conviction. Look at John chapter 8. We'll run a few verses. I know this is more doctrinal or Bible study, but I think it's good for us to at times flip through our Bibles a lot. John chapter number eight, conscience was never designed to save you. It can't save you. But John chapter eight, it says this. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even the last. Jesus left alone the woman standing in the midst. I just point that verse out to show you that our conscience can convict us. Go over to Acts chapter number 23. Acts chapter number 23, look at verse 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. In other words, he's, false. he's saying, look, I've done what I believe to be right. His conscience was just bearing witness, and he's testifying that he believes he's done what is right. Go to Acts 24, look at verse 16. 
You want an act of conscience. Acts 24, verse 16, the Bible says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. You got an act of conscience toward God. It's going to help you to do right. It will help you to remain pure rather than the opposite of it, which is a seared conscience. And that this leads you down more wickedness and ungodliness. Uh, go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse number 1. Romans 9, 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. It's a great thing to be conscientious, but your conscience ain't going to save you. We're just trying to run some verses to see that there wasn't an ending time where God no longer deals with man according to his conscience. There was just a dividing line of this is when that truth was dispensed out. And there was that we can see that timeline there and that dispensation. But after the flood, God didn't recall that truth that he dispensed out. He dispensed that truth, but he didn't recall it. We still have it active today, even in our lives, even though we're not living back between the fall and the flood. Make sense? First Corinthians chapter number eight. We'll start reading at verse number seven. Howbeit there is not in every man that, that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But me commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worst. It really don't matter to God if you eat meat or don't eat meat. But to somebody, it's going to matter. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block. To them that are weak. It doesn't mean they're not doing push-ups and sit-ups and exercising. Okay. It means that they're, they're, they're weak concerning what the Lord uh, believes about these things. And what he wants you to believe about. It. And so, but take heed lest by any means the liberty of yours become a stumbling block. Them are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple. Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened? To eat those things which are offered to idols. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish. For whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren. And wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Wherefore if meat make my brother to offend. I will eat no flesh. While the world standeth. Lest I make my brother to offend. And we talked about this before. The example I typically use on this is. If you have never been brought up. In a religion that believes in reincarnation. Then. It's not really a big deal to you. Just eating meat. And not thinking anything of it. But. If you believe. That that cow. Or that animal. Or that lamb. Was. You know. Uncle Louie that came back as a cow because the life that he lived prior wasn't that good. And your religion teaches you, hey, don't eat meat because you might be eating Uncle Louie. Okay? Look, 
I'm not trying to make fun. Well, I'm not. What I'm saying is there are people that believe that if you live a horrible life down here and you don't do anything to help humanity, when you die, you're going to come back as a fly. But if you live a really, really good life, you're going to come back as something really great. There's a lot of superstitious religion that is tied to this idea of reincarnation. Look, if I meet somebody and I'm trying to witness to them about the Lord and it's against their religion to not eat filet or to not eat a New York strip or to not eat, guess what I'm going to order? Tofu or whatever it is that would not offend that person. Why? Because their conscience, something is bothering their conscience. So man up and be soy boy for the day, okay? I mean, just, it's about thinking of somebody else, not always of yourself. That's kind of why God gave us a conscience too. It's, I know it's supposed to be the me generation, but let, look, God's trying to help us and say, look, if it's going to offend somebody, just kind of man up and quit with the arguing about it. Okay? First Timothy chapter number one. This is a good verse to go to after this. First Timothy chapter number one, verse number five. Now, the end of the commandment is you're super spiritual and righteous because you have everything figured out and you do it by the letter of the law all the time. That would be the amplified false version of the Bible. But, you know, I'm inserting that to add some humor to say that ain't the end of the commandment. I want to do right. Do you want to do right? I want to live more right than I lived yesterday. Do you? If I see something in the Bible, I want to go ahead and get it right. But what God doesn't want us to do is use that as ammunition to attack somebody else. You know how it comes across? Well, I do X and you don't. And you see how spiritual I am? People can smell that a mile away. So you know what the end of the commandment is? Watch what it says. Charity out of a pure heart. Not one puffed up with pride. And of a good conscience. There's just something about charity out of a pure heart. It just clears your slate, just clears your conscience. Really does. I'm telling you, these people that live this life of, they think they're the spiritual superman or they're the spiritual superwoman and everybody else is just, it's an awful life to live. Just to have a pure heart, charity out of a pure heart. And that'll give you a good conscience. And it'll cause you to be sensitive and caring. Now, look, I'm not trying to get mushy. But there's a part of Christianity that a lot of independent Baptists miss, which is being nice to people. Bless God, I believe the Bible. How about following what it says in this verse? <laughs> It'd be much better to, to <laughs> I'd much, look, I'm not getting rid of the Bible. But I'd much rather have somebody that's got an NIV that's trying to live what it says in some of these verses than a guy with a KJV that can spew out verses and just as mean and nasty. You hear what I'm saying? I don't want to get rid of the Bible. We're not getting rid of the Bible. 
I think they're all false versions of the Bible. But I don't want to use my stance on the Bible version, the authority of God's power to inspirationally inspire his word and preserve it. To just slam somebody else. Maybe they're not there yet. That's just one example. You want to have a good conscience that's clear? Charity out of a pure heart. You can still stand for truth. Your family can still have convictions. Your children can still be told, no, we're not going to go there and run with that crowd. We can still preach hard Bible truth from the pulpit and in Bible studies and, and take a stance against what's going on in this world. But we can also have it with a pure heart out of some good charity. It's going to give you a good, good conscience. A few more, I'll just read some of them just for sake of time. But uh, Hebrews 13 says, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. Why do lost people who hate God know that they don't want their neighbor to steal their stuff? And if they did, it would be wrong. Conscience. With no Bible. You You live an honest life, you all have a pure conscience. First Peter 3.16, have the good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evil doers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. We talked about a pure conscience. First Timothy 3 says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Second Timothy 1 says, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with a pure con- conscience. Hebrews 9, let's turn there. This is a good one to look at. I'd like to hit this point tonight. I don't mean to keep you so long, but I like to get through these verses. Hebrews chapter number nine. Uh, back up to verse 13, Hebrews 9, 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats you know, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth, purifying the flesh, semicolon. It's connected right with verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? To serve the living God. To purge means to make clean. Whatever renders your conscience defiled, which it is because you're a sinner, Christ offered himself to cleanse it. We need our consciences purged. Because this knowledge that was imparted to mankind after the fall of good and evil cannot save us. And your conscience is, it can only be purged and made clean by Christ. And the Jews, they made offerings that were related to external purification. And Hebrews shows us so clearly that Christ is the one-time sacrifice. Because all of those sacrifices that they didn't pass, they couldn't take away sins. Two warnings, and then we'll wrap it up. Titus chapter 1, number 14. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. There's a lot of preaching there. That turn from the truth. There's a lot of that going on today. Verse 15, under the pure, all things are pure, but under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind 
and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. This is why the more you defile your conscience, the deeper you sink into more defilement. And this is why we want to have a good, strong, healthy church family. And this is why out of our church family, we desire to have good, strong, healthy families. And then out of those families, we desire to have good, strong, healthy, pure marriages. And then out of those marriages, we desire to have good, strong, healthy, pure children. And then out of those children, we desire that they would grow up in a good, healthy, pure church where they can have a better opportunity to find a mate that would want to live that way. <laughs> you see how that thing works? And you ain't going to find that in the world. You're going to find filthiness and defilement. So what you do is, it's like cold water. You know, <laughs> We try to take our kids, we go on vacation, a hotel that's got the pool. We try to find the indoor pool because there's a pretty good chance it's somewhat needed. <laughs> when you get older, you're like, you're just going to put one toe in there. To the kids, they just jump in. They don't care. And you put your one big toe in and leave it there for a little bit. Then you let your foot drop into your ankle. <laughs> That's not too bad. And then you get up into your knees and it's Okay. And then you can get up to your waist. And that's usually where I'm like, that's as far as I'm going. But after a while, I get used to that. And then I sink all the way under. And that's like the world. You get a little bit of defilement. You get your big toe dirty. <laughs> you know. And then you ankle deep in filth. And then you knee deep in just unpurity and ungodliness and wickedness. And then you're up to your hips in it. And it's just more filth and more smut and more defilement. And then before you know it, you just sink right down and your just whole life is covered with iniquity, sin, and filth. And it's an awful way to live. And you were ready to get out of the pool when you put your big toe in. You were ready to be done. But you got talked into doing some more and going a little farther and looking a bit, little bit longer. And, and then you're just running with the wrong crowd. And I'm telling you, the same thing will happen. Under the pure, all things are pure. If you desire to get your big toe into God's word and get a little bit wet with it, the next thing you know, you'll be ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep, then you just be. But that's how this thing works. But if you sear your conscience, First Timothy 4 says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, you're just left with the example that we just gave. You just deeper and deeper and deeper. So please be mindful of that. Young people, make sure you go home and thank your parents for putting the time into loving you and, and, and getting you to church, doing family devotions and, and wanting, to, wanting to get you uh, away from all the filth of the world. Because there's a lot of it out there and it's a lot easier to access now than when I was a kid. So to wrap up, after the fall, what did God do? After the fall, God dispensed the truth of conscience. But at no point in time did God recall that truth. Yes, there is a dividing line 
But that dispensation, that was a dispensing of truth that has never been recalled. And it doesn't matter if you're saved or lost. God can today still deal with you according to your conscience. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.